the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a Friday. Good morning. Glad you could be with me today. Looking at temperature 73 right now. Uh, later on today, we will head up uh, to just about, what are they saying today? 96 degrees with a heat index of uh, 108. So it's going to be hot out. Hopefully, we'll have a UV index of about 9 or 10. Uh Yesterday afternoon, I don't know about you, lots of thunderstorms dropped down from the north. Uh, we got a lot of rain in a very short period of time. All right, Skip Kelly telling me he hears me loud and clear. All right, Skip, welcome. There's four other people here. Uh, that's good. Starting off early. That you get up this early to tune in on, uh, you know, the show is... Uh, says a few things but welcome to the show we're going to talk about uh, as this day goes on this last week a lot of supreme court um, decisions were made and because of those decisions uh, we want to talk about them and what does it mean to you if anything so uh, one you know that came down for little sisters of the poor it's their second time in front of the Supreme Court uh, where people have been trying to pressure them because they're Catholics. Uh, they've been uh, pressuring them to offer free birth control, and they say that goes against their religious tenets, and they would not do it. And the Supreme Court ruled in their favor for the second time. Twice that's happened now. Twice. Uh, you probably heard Robert Steinbach talk to me about it yesterday. And I asked him, well, does that mean that this is finally settled? And he said, for now. (laughs) I like Robert because, as he says, he never says never uh, when it comes to something from the Supreme Court. And he's right. Supreme Court can come back and courts before the one that's ruling on something can have ruled a certain way. And then suddenly the Supreme Court can look at it and go, hey. I'm going, uh, no, that they got it wrong. This is the way it should have been. And they uh, rule against the ruling. All right, so I got some pretty cool stuff here that I saw today that I'm excited. Because Fridays, I like to talk a little bit about what's going on as far as, um, you know, culture is concerned. And I, Gary Larson, you know who, who Gary Larson even is? 
Heidi. <laughs> you make me feel so old. Do you realize that? You make me feel old. Uh, you who are watching, you probably know uh, who Gary Larson is. Uh, Gary Larson from 1980 to 1995 did a daily one uh, panel uh, uh, cartoon called The Far Side. Uh, have you ever seen The Far Side? Any of the things? Yeah, kind of. Okay. Uh, my favorite one that Larson did was Why the Dinosaurs Went Extinct. And it showed uh, a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex standing behind a tree smoking a, cign- a cigarette, which I, I loved it. I just thought it was great. Well, he's back. Uh, he's not going to be in the papers anymore. He, he's got his own website. He's had it for several years, so you can look at his old pictures. But now you're going to get a chance to look at new material. Let me let me just kind of run over this uh, article real quickly with you. Uh, this comes from MovieWeb. It says, legendary cartoonist and the Farsight creator Gary Larson now is making single, uh, single-frame comics again. So I'm, I'm going to start my day off with a cup of coffee and a Gary Larson comic the way I used to up until 1995. Right now, you can find three single-panel comics that can be seen on Larson's uh, website. And uh, you can check it out there. Just uh, Google it, and you'll be able to find his website. Uh, They're in full color now, not just black and white like he used to do. They're in full color. And you're probably wondering why... Uh, has Larson come back all of a sudden? Because he he got out, said he was done. He retired back in 95. So, you know, he's been gone over 20 years now. And he came back because the technology. He said technology makes this uh, really, really simple for him now. And he said, I got one of these uh, new uh, digital tools and I can work on my own time. I don't have the stress of constant deadlines. And, and remember, it was that stress uh, that convinced Gary Larson it was time to retire. He got tired of every day by X time. You had to have something new from the far side. And, and with the far side, as you know, Larson has a completely different view of the world than most of us do. And it's fun to look at, at what he's saying. There's one of the new ones today is of a guy standing on a curb with his arm raised up in the air and he's shaking his hand and he's yelling taxidermist. And the taxi coming down the street in the back of it, it's full of stuffed animals. Get it? Tax, taxi dermis. Yeah. Say, uh, the, that's the kind of humor he's got, and it makes you laugh. It, that he thinks that way makes you laugh. John Deering does that as well with his, uh, I think he's still doing Strange Brew, but that's exactly what John Deering does. And uh, I should get John on to talk about that because that's got to be an incredible amount of, of pressure to come up with something new with a skewed look at everything that way just saying that's it's got to be different uh so one of them today is of two aliens hidden in a bush with ray guns 
and there's a, a guy in his pickup truck coming down the road, and he's, the one alien says to the other, remember, it's uh, it, 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 it put it on just stun, because today it's stun and release. <laughs> there's another one of uh, bears sitting around a picnic table with little Boy Scouts on their plates, and they're pouring honey on them. <laughs> what was the other one today? They had another one. Well, I told you, the taxidermist ones. But uh, here, I, I printed off this one of the, the bears. You'll be able to see it somewhat. Do I have to hold it up like that so you can see it over people riding here? So there you go, the bears eating little Boy Scouts or Cub Scouts, whatever that they're they're consuming so gary larson is back so i'm looking forward to this uh i love gary larson i got several of his big coffee table books and i don't know why my wife won't let me put my coffee table she says all i do is collect dust and i said don't you watch my my friends come here and they sit down on the couch and while they're waiting for a cup of coffee or an adult beverage or whatever they reach over and they start leafing through it and you can hear you hear the the laughter coming out of uh you know out of them because they're laughing about it all all right so uh i got a couple more cultural things for you uh player two new uh, does everybody remember uh, ready player one okay player two the book is being released tomorrow so the uh they'll continue on with that story and no word yet if they've or somebody's already bought the rights to it to make a movie because I thought the movie was uh, fairly good. I liked watching that movie and picking up all the the different characters that they brought back, man from the past. Uh, the one that I loved the most out of that was that they had Beanie and Cecil in it. That was amazing. They have Beanies. That goes back to the late fifties, early sixties, folks. I'm coming, Beanie Boy. So they they had them make an appearance of in months all the uh, cartoon characters. Also, um, well, I'll I'll bring you all the information on that and the new information on the new Halloween movie that has now been uh, they're they're going to bring it out in 2021. They're not going to bring it out in 2020, so they moved it back a year. But uh, Halloween Kills is the newest um the newest uh, uh halloween movie that's coming and what's kind of cool about it is that it picks up right at the end of the movie from last year which i like i mean this is the good thing that with carpenter involved and the people who are writing this uh, uh the movies now that uh, they're keeping the timeline right and you're not jumping 20 years in advance and all of that you're in the here and now and i'll tell you a little bit about it more kills in this movie than any halloween movie ever is what john carpenter's saying and he is all about it definitely all about it all right i'm looking at the time it says 17 minutes after six that means we're going to get a first break in um if you're watching on facebook my microphone will continue working so i can talk to you during the break so uh, I will do that and kind of give you an up of what's coming right up when the break is over. If you're listening on the radio, 
You got to listen to us, make some money. That's coming up right now on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you. If you were on Facebook, I never left you. I was here. I was telling you what was coming up. Just giving you some insight into all of this stuff. Okay, for all of you guys and gals out there that are into comics, that are, you know, into cartoons. Uh, and, and by the way, speaking of that, next week at 7 o'clock, uh, Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett will get a week off. And uh, Dr. Uh, Tim Lim will be on with us, uh, the astute cartoonist who has done the, the covers for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and all the rest, lives here in Little Rock, will join me here on the show. All right, Ready Player One, the sequel book, is all set to hit shelves this November. This is volume two. You'll remember that Ready Player One stayed, as I told you, uh, well, I can't remember whether I told everybody or I just told the folks on Facebook, it stayed on the bestsellers list on the New York Times for over 100 weeks. That's over two years, okay? Or near, nearly two years. And then Steven Spielberg made it into a movie. Well, Ready Player Two is going to be available this November on the 24th. Sounds like for some of my kids that are in their 20s, is going to be a Christmas-type uh gift for me to give to them uh so just uh, saying it's available no november 24th and pre-orders are ma- now being taken for it in addition the book's cover has been revealed and it's in the same style as the first installment ernest klein has been hard at work on the sequel for a few years now and admitted back in 2018 that it was a tough process mainly over the fact that he did not want to make a sequel to the Steven Spielberg adaptation. Instead, he wanted to follow up on the original book, which I think is the way to do it, to be honest with you. And so looking further, while it's unclear what Ready Player Two will be about, Ernest Klein has revealed that all of the main characters from Ready Player One will be returning. The original story set in a dystopia in 2045 follows protagonist Wade Watts on his search for an Easter egg in a worldwide virtual reality game, the discovery of which would lead him to inherit the game creator's fortune. However, he ends up running in some competition for the egg from the world and corporation IOL, but in the end, Watts wins the race and wipes out IOL. So uh, where does Klein go from there? Nobody knows. Ready Player One stars uh, Ty Sheridan as the young protagonist, and the supporting cast includes Olivia Cook, Ben Mendelsohn, Lena Waithe, Simon Pegg, and Mark Relance. All right, so that's the people that are in, in the movie. That movie grossed $583 million worldwide. I find it interesting that you <laughs> you can make five a half a billion dollars on a movie and it still not be a hit. That that amazes me. It just kind of amazes me. Anyway, uh, Spielberg said that it was his biggest box office success since his 08 Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. With the new book on the way, one can almost guarantee that the big screen adaptation will be on the way too, though it's unclear if Spielberg will be behind it. 
All right. Ready Player Two is 384 pages, but there's still no other details out at the moment. So I gave you everything that I have, just so you know. All right. Again, MovieWeb uh, giving us all of that information. Now I'm excited. And the people who were watching this on uh, Facebook from the very beginning know that I'm excited. I am a huge, and I do mean huge, fan of Halloween. Uh, I think the first two movies are near perfection. The first one, as far as I'm concerned, is perfection. Yes, there are uh, some mistakes in it. For instance, there's some scenes when Laurie and the gr- her girlfriends are walking down the street, quoting Haddonville, Illinois. And in the background, you sh- can see palm trees, big palm trees, because it was filmed uh, outside L.A. So, you know, bottom line is there are no palm trees like that in Illinois. All right, so you know it wasn't really in Illinois that they filmed the movie, but who cares? It's a great movie. It was a fun movie. Um, We've had several of the actors on from that movie. They had a blast making it. My uh, One of my big goals before the end of next year is to get John Carpenter to give us some time on the radio. It would be great to talk to John Carpenter, the master of horror who has done some horror movies that didn't do well, okay, on the big screen, but has done many movies uh, in the horror genre that have done big box office. The Thing uh, comes right to mind. The Fog, another one that I love. Not to remake, the original, okay? The original with Adrian Babo And uh, Escape from New York City, you know, Kurt Russell. Those were great, great movies and fun to watch. And who doesn't like Snake Plissken? Tell me. I love Snake Plissken. Snake's the man. Well, anyway, the 2018 reboot of Halloween saw Jamie Lee Curtis character Lori from the original film working with her daughter Karen and her granddaughter Allison to trap and finish off the serial killer Michael Myers once and for all. Now, surely when you heard this was going to be the last one, you knew if it was popular, it was not going to be the last one. I knew it wouldn't be the last one because I don't know if you can really kill Michael Myers. Michael Myers, as Donald Pleasance told us in the first movie, is the personification of evil. So can you kill and get rid of evil? My answer to that is no, which means Michael Myers is just going to continue to come back over and over and over. Well, in an interview with Empire, writer-director David Gordon Green and co-writer Danny McBride spoke about their two, not one, two upcoming back-to-back sequels. For Halloween. Starting off with Halloween Kills, McBride revealed that this time around, Michael will have to contend with not just Lori, but an entire team of hunters. 
Although Michael Myers was left to burn to his death at the end of 2018's Halloween, as we just saw in the, uh, if you watch the teaser, uh, and there's a teaser trailer out, watch it. You'll go, if you're a Halloween buff, you're going to love this. Uh, in true slasher movie fashion, it was indicated in the final movies of the movie that the killer is still alive and will rise to terrorize the world again. And I, I showed that picture. Let me see if I can, I think it's on the other side here. This is the picture I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Now, for folks who just joined us on Facebook, you're getting to see it. As you can see, it's Michael Myers looking through the bars, if you remember the bars, that were uh, in front of the stairs coming up from the uh, basement. But that's Michael Myers, and the mask on M- Michael Myers is melting. So it's going to be... I'm in already. I'm I'm in. I'm going to watch the teaser while we take a break for news, which is uh, coming right up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let me bring you up in 60 seconds the big stories around the world. Then we get traffic and weather, and then I'll be back. Got a thumbs up. So, yeah. Okay. I'm talking to the folks on. Uh, I'm talking to the folks on the uh, the site right now on Facebook. Because we lost the Mevo today, and we pe- we pushed uh, the board audio through the Mevo, you can always hear the guests and things of that nature. James tells me yes, that you guys can hear it. So I'm going to hold my headphones up close, and I'm going to listen closer because so I can hear I can hear Dan uh, Eberhard. He's joining us today. He is a attorney and CEO. Uh, at Carney Oil. And Dan, thanks for joining us and taking the time out to talk to us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, thank you for having me. Good morning. Okay. I can hear you good off of my headphones, and so can everybody else that's watching this off of my phone on my Facebook page. So, with that said, the uh, Supreme Court ruled yesterday uh, kind of a victory for the president kind of not a victory for the president dealing with his tax returns. Now, I want everybody to remember that uh, the impeachment folks wanted his tax returns. The president said, you don't get them. They're not, they don't have anything to do with what you're looking at. And the, I think the attorney general of New York wanted them as well in another uh, case. Now, the Supreme Court, didn't say nobody could have them. What they did is they kicked this all back down to the lower courts. And it sounded to me, because I haven't read the uh, the opinion, but did they send it down to the lower court saying you got to have a higher level of information to present to the court for us to even say that the president's uh, income tax return should be given over to to the House or to this uh, uh, Attorney General? Why don't you explain what this all means? Sure. So they, you know, they said that, I'll just talk about legally and then politically, but the the Supreme Court basically kicked it back to the lower court saying there needs to be a, a higher level of information as to why it's needed uh, for that to suffice. So, I, you know, I look at it as a bit of a, a bit of a stalemate. It definitely wasn't the knockout win that the Democrats were looking for, but Trump is also not, not off the hook here um, completely either. You know, politically, I think that these, this tax return issue is kind of largely asked and answered. You know, Trump didn't provide his tax returns in 2016. He's still got 
60 plus million votes and you know won all the primaries also so i think i think voters are able to make a decision on you know what may or may not be in these tax returns and have acted accordingly it's just more more um, you know a, a different version of the democrats throwing rocks at trump you know wanting more and more information and ultimately trump's a wealthy guy so they want these tax returns so they can dig through and they can try to find improprieties or tax you know loopholes or shelters that his advisors use so that they can pummel him further so it's it's really just a political question and there's there's a vast difference in somebody like Barack Obama or Bill Clinton's tax returns and Donald Trump's tax returns due to the size of Trump's net worth. And so they just see it an opportunity to get information and pillage. And it's a good issue for them to rile up their base. But I, I think voters were able to make a decision in 2016 without him. And I think they'll be able to make a decision in 2020 without him that you know, will involve reelecting Donald Trump. So the bottom line is uh, the Democrats, what a big surprise, are just going on a muckraking expedition. Is is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, exactly. They they think the the issue the issue of trying to get the tax returns is good for them, and if they get it, if they get them, then you know here will be you know feet pound feet and feet worth of pages that they can dig through to try to find more negative information about Trump that they can try to destroy voter confidence in him with, but. Look, Trump's a successful businessman. He's made a lot of money. He's probably, you know, taken advantage of several deductions and, you know, who knows what else. And that's a, a plethora of stuff for, for Democrats to dictate. That's why they want him. Well, I'll be honest with you, Dan. I I don't make anywhere near the money the president makes, nor do I have as much money as the president has. And I use every, uh, you know, opportunity i can to hold back my do- my dollars uh from the federal government i want the money for myself i'm the one who worked for it they didn't i think most americans feel that way well that's exactly how most americans act you know you take advantage of you know the the law the laws and the the regulations are there um you know to provide incentives for certain things and to provide you know, also to ultimately provide the government money, but everybody wants to keep as much of their money as possible. So that's what Trump's done is exactly what you're saying you do and exactly what, you know, I do the same. So I don't fault him for that at all. And I think he's had an enormous amount of success. They just see this as a good issue to, you know, pillar him and continue to poke holes in, um, you know, in people's confidence in him. That's what this is about. Yeah, Dan, what, you know, when did this start? That candidates released their income tax uh, taxes from the previous years or, or whatever. Because, you know, to be honest, I don't care. Yeah, well, um, I'm not I don't remember exactly when it started, but, I, I, you know, I don't really care either. I think that it's it's just become this kind of rite of passage. You know, it's like the health records, you know, somebody. The last round of people did it four years ago, so therefore the therefore you've got to do it forever. And I think that it's, um, you know, maybe a, a practice that's past its prime, really. Yeah, I, I just, like I said, if he was taking uh, tax breaks of that are legal because those, those uh, loopholes are there, and let's face it, look, if, if you're an average American Joe... 
And uh, when you have your taxes filled out, uh, you know, if you're if you're declaring the interest that you paid on your home loan, then uh, you took advantage of a loophole, basically. I mean, that's what that is, so that you don't have to pay as much in taxes. Or if you took uh, advantage of, as I like to call it, not the earned income tax credit, but the unearned income tax credit, because let's uh, be honest, the only thing you got to do to get the unearned income tax credit is to have a couple of kids. You pop some kids and you get that uh, that break. I mean, just about everybody that I know of that has a family are taking those breaks. Yeah, well, and I I think it, I think it makes sense. I mean, I, I really think that this is the 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 politics of the personal, and what we really need to focus on is the the, the politics of the professional in terms of. You know, what policies is, is Trump or his opponent going to do to better the lives of American business and American American families? Not this kind of destructive, tear them down, look for dirt type of stuff is, is really detrimental to where we want to go as a country, I think. Well, and I would I would agree with that unless it's some type of impropriety where the person actually went out and, and broke uh, major laws. I would say if you want to go and you want to look into Biden's past about how, you know, Hunter got on those boards over in the Ukraine, how did he make a bunch of money over there in the Ukraine? You know, I think that that's a legitimate question that needs to be answered so that we know that the president is not going to be held at the whim of some foreign uh, power. But uh, their tax returns... Mm, not so much, I gotta tell you. Not so yeah, much. I, I I agree. I agree completely. I mean, it's it's awful suspicious how Hunter Biden was able to get those type of positions and and basically leverage his dad's position. And that's definitely something that should be looked at and investigated. But unfortunately, we we really have the opposite. You know, Congress has not lost a, an opportunity to investigate the president. You know, we had the several congressional investigations, the Mueller investigation, the impeachment saga, and it just goes on and on and on. And the tax returns, you know, would just be the, the 58th chapter and all that. Yeah, I, I, you know, this won't be determined now until after the November elections. And I got to tell you what, I don't think it would have been a big deal in the November elections as it is. I still believe that the president is going to be reelected and he will be reelected, I believe, with probably more electoral votes than he was elected in 2016. When you look at what the man has done and what he has done, he has done pushing against the biggest headwinds you possibly could could find because you're right, the Democrats from the very beginning have been after the man. Uh, it's amazing what he has accomplished in our nation. Just think what he might be able to accomplish in the second term. Oh, I, I think I, I, I absolutely agree with your headwinds analogy. I mean, they've thrown everything with the kitchen sink at him, and he's still delivered. You know, he stood up for us on China. He stood up to Kim Jong-un. He delivered tax cuts. He's led the country through a pandemic, not to mention, you know, the two Supreme Court justices and 50-something um, 
you know, federal judges he's put on the courts. I mean, he's really accomplished quite a bit. Yeah, a lot, a lot, and could have accomplished even more if uh, the Democrats had been working with him. But I don't expect the Democrats to work with him. There are a bunch of lefties, and some of them now are the worst kind of, of leftists. I mean, they're over there. They're, uh, you know, they're, uh, uh, they're feeling with uh, Antifa. They identify with them. They identify with uh, all the other radical groups. Uh, we've got how how some of them get away with what they're doing. I mean, this whole thing that we're hearing about, uh, uh, what's her name? I, I can't, uh, I think it's Enwa who gave all this money to her husband in, in two years, $900,000 through her, her campaign funds. How is it that nobody pays any attention to this kind of stuff? Well, I, you know, the, 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 generally speaking, the media is definitely biased and definitely out against Trump. I mean, I've experienced that personally. That there's, there's just a built-in bias uh, against Trump and to kind of whitewash some of the Democrats' issues. Well, let me ask you one last question before we let you go. Since you work in the oil industry, uh, my son-in-law works in the oil industry down in the San Antonio area. Uh, he, uh-huh. te- he tells me that when you follow the oil industry, if a barrel of oil typically is over $35, oil companies can make some money off of that, and they will continue moving forward and not have to declare bankruptcy. Well, we're over 40 right now. Are things starting to mitigate a little bit for you guys? No, they're, they're, they're a little better, and we're, we're getting a little busier, but it, it's still you know pretty, pretty tough out there, especially for the local service companies. All right. Well, keep up the good work. We appreciate you giving us the time. Uh, it was a, a, a good, uh, I think, decision for the president because if they kick it down to the lower courts and, and give them a higher threshold, uh, that means, as you know, it would probably end up back in front of the Supreme Court again to see if that higher threshold was the, the higher threshold they needed to meet. So this is not over by a long shot. i got a lot of months still before this thing. Yeah. All right. Well, thank, thank you for having me on again, and I appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you later. And uh, Dan will be back with us in, in the future. So uh, that's where that is. We'll talk more about this with Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett uh, in the next hour. So keep that in, in mind. All right. So if you just joined us, let me tell you the news that I gave everybody. Uh, the first thing is that Gary Larson is back. I'm excited. I mean, I'm excited. I don't know about the rest of you, but The Far Side was one of my all-time favorite comics I used to look for that was one of the first things I looked for in a newspaper when I read newspapers. Now it's hard to find newspapers sometimes. But the bottom line, he's got his own website. He he likes the new technology, and uh, he's going to start preparing uh, cartoons uh, during uh, each day. But he doesn't have a a deadline, so to speak, that he has to make. And so there's a whole lot less stress, and he's enjoying using the new technology. The cartoons are going to be in color. A couple of them today that were out, let me try to explain them to you. There's a guy with his arm up hailing a taxi, and he's yelling, taxidermist. And there's a taxi coming down the road with a bunch of stuffed animals in in the back seat. 
But my favorite one is the one with the aliens. You know, he always played with aliens. One of my favorite was an alien with the big eyeball that he'd show up. People would look out their window and there's a big eyeball looking back at him. But he, <laughs> he's got the two aliens and one alien saying to the other is they have their ray guns ready to go and there's a, a pickup truck coming with what looks like probably an outdoorsman in it and said, remember, it's done because today we're stunning and releasing. So I, I thought that was a, a pretty good joke as well. All right, less jokes, more uh, making money. We got to do that here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Stay tuned. We're back in just a moment. All right, we're down to about uh, four minutes remaining here in this uh, first hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. Man, we blew through the first hour without any problem. We've had a lot of things to, to talk about couple of things uh, to also know with the Supreme Court, and I'm going to bring this up with Robert and Chris, and they'll be joining me uh, in the next hour and the hour after as we uh, kind of uh, deconstruct the Supreme Court decisions that have occurred. Uh, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch, writing for the majority in the um, case McGritt versus Oklahoma, a decision ruling that much of eastern Oklahoma is India Indian land. Uh, that's what they're saying. It's Indian uh, land. So you want to you want to keep that uh, in mind. The five uh, four decision had the effect of legally making reservations uh, out of much of uh, eastern Oklahoma. Over 1.8 million people, including about 400,000 residents of Tulsa, are living on the land considered in the justice's decision in McGirt versus Oklahoma. Uh, the majority opinion, let me just read a little piece of this out of it. Uh, it was written by Gorsuch. On the far end of the Trail of Tears was a promise. Forced to leave their ancestral homes and lands in Georgia and Alabama, the Creek Nation received assurances that their lands in the West would be secure forever. In exchange for ceding all their land east of the Mississippi River, the U.S. government agreed by treaty that the Creek uh, country west of the Mississippi shall be solemnly guaranteed to the Creek Indians. All right, so that's what Gorsuch wrote. Now, as far as the uh, dissent went, and the dissent, uh, I believe, was written by Roberts, a century of practice confirms that the five tribes' prior domains were extinguished. The state has maintained unquestioned jurisdiction for more than 100 years. Tribe make, uh, members make up less than 10 to 15% of the population of their former domain. And until a few years ago, the Creek Nation ex itself acknowledged that it no longer possessed the reservation that the court discovers today. This on-the-ground reality is enshrined throughout the U.S. Code, which repeatedly terms the five tribes' prior holdings the former Indian reservations in Oklahoma. So that's how this was decided. 
if it really still was the Creek Indians' land, why weren't they fighting to keep the land? Now, that's what Roberts is saying. He says, in fact, you guys acknowledge that you no longer possess the reservation that the court discovered uh, today. But I have to side some with Gorsuch that the United States government went into a treaty with the Creek Indians and told them all of that land uh, west of the Mississippi was theirs in perpetuity. So when did that end? So I don't think we've heard the last of this uh, decision. There's going to be more uh, talked about that. And I got to believe that some Native Americans are going to press the issue. And to be honest with you, I think they should. All right. It's a break here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We got news coming your way. When we get back, we will uh, talk about uh, all the Supreme Court uh, decisions from this last week with Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett. show on a Friday and let me tell you what's coming up on uh, uh, the 8 o'clock hour on Monday because we just nailed it down so I want to give you the information the uh, new superintendent and uh, I guess vice superintendent of the um, Little Rock School District will be in studio with me on Monday and we'll sit down and talk with them as well as their communications director will be here as well I don't know exactly what they want to talk about. I know I want to talk about opening the schools again, and we'll see uh, where they're at as far as that's concerned. Uh, I will let you know that, for instance, uh, Cabot is reopening. I heard there's other schools that are reopening as well. Now, in Cabot, and I, I since I live there, I, you know, I get the information uh, in as quickly as possible, that if you are a... Uh, parent that is concerned about your child going back to school you can still do distance learning over the computer it will be interesting to see as we get into the beginning of the new school year that is not that far down the road now how many parents decide to do that and uh, continue to do schooling at home a lot of parents uh, need to be able to send their kids to school because both parents work and we talked about this and so the, the school system serves a two-fold uh, re, uh you know thing for them uh, teaching children and being child care uh, both are uh, there as well as feeding children as well as giving them mental health help all of that is done through the schools now so that's an important thing to keep in mind. 
All right, uh, Chris Corbett and, uh, of course, um, Robert Steinbach are with us. They do this every Friday starting at 7 o'clock. Chris, how are you, brother? Doing fantastic, Dave. Thanks for having me on this morning. Now, you you may not be doing as good as you would like to be able to do because you don't have a a fishing pole in your hand. (laughs) Well, you're right about that. I've got a friend in Alaska. And I'm I'm so jealous. He's killing it. Uh, Halibut, no. salmon, he's having a blast. Now, do you like to fish the red or do you like to fish the white? Man, I like to fish them all. <laughs> the red is beautiful. The white's beautiful. I like brim fishing, bass fishing, crappie fishing. Man, I love it. You like you like trout fishing? Absolutely. Um, Steinbuck and I have gone up there a couple times. Of course, I limit first. I catch my five. And then I got to wait on him to catch his two. <laughs> because let me tell you, you know, with the first, I now own uh, two fishing rods to go up to the White River. Because when I went out with Chris the first time and he arranged all the equipment, he gave me a broken stick uh, with a piece of tissue paper tied to the end of it uh, and called that a fishing pole. And that's why he was ahead of me on the limit. No. Now wait a second. Are you telling me, Robert, that Chris gave you the the pro the, was it the Popey Pocket Fisherman? Was that what he gave you? Yeah, yeah. He gave me the Pocket Fisherman, but it wasn't the Popeo Pocket Fisherman. I'll tell you that right now. Well, just so you both well, know. By the way, before we before we get off on this tangent too far, Dave, yeah. you had mentioned yeah. in the intro that you're having the. I gather the new superintendent of the Little Rock School District yes. come in on Monday, and I would like you to ask him or her why the Little Rock School District under Johnny Key fired Chris's mother and almost a hundred other teachers in violation of the Teachers Protection Act and did not afford them their rights in terms of placement in other schools. That's a question I'd like to ask him. Well, that's a big question, Dave. Yeah, send it, send it, write it out for me, and and send it to okay. me guys as an email. I'll make sure we ask it. Absolutely, because the big because question the Little is, Rock School District. Let me tell you what's going on, Dave. The Little Rock School District and Johnny Key. Uh, let me make this clear: Johnny Key, Republican, head of the state's Department of Education, has taken over the Little Rock School District, and the lefties in the school district, in concert with the Republican Johnny Key. I mean, this is really uh, a dangerous uh, coordination. Have acted to violate the rights of the teachers who are entitled to placement in other schools when they shut down certain schools. Here's what they did. They That's shut right. down they shut down four schools and they said, Oh, well normally when we do a riff, right, a reduction in force, we've got to say, All right, well the people that got fired first, they get first dibs at the open jobs because they've been here here long enough and they've satisfied various requirements that they have what's known <clears throat> colloquially as tenure. Right? They have a protected right. Because this way you can't fire people for being old. You can't fire people for what they say. You protect teachers' freedom in the classroom and elsewhere. And they did exactly the opposite. Right. They fired a whole host of people, somewhere around 75 teachers. And they said, oh, well, that's not a reduction in force. Because <laughs> we've arbitrarily decided that a reduction in force is some number higher than that. Oh, uh, that's not what the law says. Sorry. <laughs> wow, and we're okay. taking them to court. Dave, we're taking the we're taking the city of Little Rock to court to 
reinstate the rights. This is what happens every day in this state under the false guise of justice. A bunch of mid-level, <clears throat> invariably leftist bureaucrats screwing over the working man and the working woman. That's what's going on here. A bunch of rich, kowtow, overpaid bureaucrats harming the teachers who make modest salaries and other workers, mind you. This is one example across a panoply uh, in which we see mid-level overpaid bureaucrats seeking to harm everyday citizens. What's another example, you might ask? I'll tell you, Dave. Another example is when the city of Little Rock attorney, overpaid six-figure attorney, Chris, tell me, what's he got, like six weeks of vacation um, that he negotiated? Tom Carpenter, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, Tom Carpenter. Yeah. He gets well over $100,000 in salary. He gets something like six weeks of vacation. And when little old Ben Motal, attorney in Little Rock, goes over to the Little Rock Police Department and says, can I take a look uh, at my uh, police report? So- somewhat akin to more porridge, sir, please, from, of course, Oliver Twist. <laughs> they say, well, if you want to take a picture of it, that's going to be $10. Wait, what? What is this? New York City, when the fluffy walks up to you and says, hey, do you want to take a picture with me? There'll be 10 bucks. The, so they say, you got to pay 10 bucks. He says, I don't got to pay 10 bucks to take a picture of a public record. And Tom Carpenter, Carpenter and his cronies say, sure you do. We need that money. Show me the money. Dave. Every one of these bureaucrats want to line their pockets with your taxpayer dollars. So Ben Motal, luckily, is an attorney. So he can afford to file his own lawsuit, and he can afford to hire his own attorney himself. And he takes this to court. And the trial judge, who was that, Mackie Pierce, Chris, was a yeah. trial judge in this case? I don't recall. I don't want to besmirch Mackie Pierce uh, because I don't remember who the trial judge was. But the trial judge butchered, butchered the opinion. But the Court of Appeals, God bless him, got it right. And the Court of Appeals said, wait, the Freedom of Information Act allows you to copy something. And these bureau hacks in the Little Rock Police Department said, oh, a photograph is not a copy. A photograph is not a copy, Dave? What world do we live in well, we've, when you get we've talked about this, all right? the English- They were in the wrong. What's that? Say again? I said we talked about this. There's no doubt that they were in the wrong. Yeah. Now, uh, since they won at a higher court, it, are we hearing that uh, the Little Rock School District wants to pursue this in a higher court of law oh, now? Well, this one is the Little Rock Police Department. Uh, yeah. Tom Carpenter announced, probably from vacation in uh, Cozumel, uh, drinking his Mai Tais, that he wants to appeal the case up to the Supreme Court. And guess who's going to pay for that appeal, Dave? You and your tax dollars. He's yeah, not paying t- for it. He's not, dipping, he's not digging into his po- pocket to make it happen. You're paying for it. I'm paying for it. And we're paying his salary to attack the rights of little rockers. That's what's going on. Yeah. That's what's going on. So are the little hearing, of, uh, are the, we hearing any information about when they're going to hear this? Are they going to hear it this year, or are they going to wait to next year? I, 
I don't know. I haven't even heard whether Tom Carpenter uh, uh, filed the notice of appeal because he has a window, and I don't know if that window has closed yet. So I don't know if he's filed it yet. I told Ben Motal, the attorney, as I mentioned, that if he files it, I will seek to appear as an amicus, as a friend of the court. That's just a phrase. That's what the word means. To uh, further the interests of public transparency against those who seek to create opacity and greater bureaucracy, i.e. Tom Carpenter. Amazing. Amazing that you can't just pull out your camera and take a picture. Well, to be clear, as of today, thank goodness... Yeah, thank goodness to the to the Court of Appeals, you can. But if it were up to Tom Carpenter, you would not be able to. That's what's amazing. Here you get a guy who's a lawyer. And I don't think lawyers are the second coming of Jesus. But I think lawyers are supposed to be well-educated. And here's a well-educated guy who says, Oh, well, you'll see if you take your camera out and you take a picture of something, that's not a copy. That ain't a copy. What is it, Dave? That's my question for you. What the heck is it? A banana? Is it a banana? Whenever I have Robert on, all I got to say is a picture is not a copy, and he goes nuts. That's it. That's it. It's It's a short trip, Dave. I guarantee you that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for the next next 20 minutes of the show, I don't even have to open my mouth. <laughs> well, for that reason, Dave, you should pay me double what you're paying me. Well, I'll pay you triple. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> triple zero, baby. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Chris Corbett is here. Hey, Chris, uh, did you hear yeah. the big story about United Airlines today? I have missed it. What are they doing? Are they, are they, are they taking are the parking saying, blocks away from their... They're they're Well, here's What's what they, here's what they said, and I got to get a break in here shortly. So let me just give you these yeah. both of you these figures and our listeners these figures. As of yesterday, United Airlines said that as many as thirty six thousand wor- workers, or about forty percent of its staff, could be temporarily laid off beginning October first, unless travel demand abounds, uh, rebounds from the decline it suffered because of the uh, pandemic. The furlongs, uh, or furloughs are expected to tar- uh, target up to 15,000 flight attendants, 11,000 customer service agents, 5,500 uh, maintenance workers, and 2,500, or tw- pardon me, 2,200 pilots, according to the Associated Whoa. Press. That is a huge, huge layoff. And uh, a lot of people still not feeling comfortable yet to fly. Uh, I I heard that, uh, you know, um, Steinbach said that he'll fly to the RNC as long as they put him in a, uh, you know, a hazmat suit. Yeah. I'll fly to the RNC, Dave. Uh, right when I look out the plane windows, I see pigs flying next to that plane. <laughs> got- Dang, that's a gut. We got to get a break. Let's do that. We got traffic and weather that we need to play for you. I need to tell you about PI Roofing and how they'll take care of your roof for you. Uh, You know, bottom line is I've used uh, PI Roofing. PI Roofing has been one of my advertisers since almost the inception of the Dave Ellswick Show here uh, in Little Rock, and I appreciate 
them staying with me. But let me tell you, Joel Johnson is a great uh, uh, businessman, and the only reason he does stay uh, on the show is because he gets business off of me talking about them. And so I just want to remind you that if you've got leaks in your roof, they can be taken care of. The social distancing can still be upheld. All the things about the pandemic uh, that needs to be there are there by PI Roofing. You do all of your business over the phone at 707-3551 or over the internet at piroofing.com. Uh, they can send the people out to walk on your roof. They're outside, you're inside. Then they'll get a hold of your insurance uh, firm. They'll talk to the appraiser. The appraiser may even come out, get on the roof with them, let them show them where the problems are, and then they go from there and work out a deal that benefits you. That's PI Roofing, piroofing.com or 707-3551. All right, so um, our guest, Chris Corbett out of Conway, uh, lawyer, engineer, uh, then you got Robert Steinbach, uh, professor of law at Bowen School of Law. His opinions are his and his alone. Also now has passed the bar here in Arkansas and can uh, get before the judges here, in in fact, uh, for uh, Arkansas, has written uh, the definitive book about the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, in uh, his past. So we're going to talk to them about the latest Supreme Court cases that have announced have been announced over this week. Uh, let me start, and I talked to you about this yes, uh, yesterday, Robert, so let me talk to Chris yes, about it. The Little Sisters of the Poor were up in front of the Supreme Court again about ACA or Obamacare, and uh, saying that being a religious organization uh, and being a Catholic religious organization, this was their argument, uh, they did not have to uh, abide and give people free uh, uh, birth control. And yesterday... The uh, Supreme Court, or the day before yesterday, perhaps it was yesterday, was uh, the president's tax returns. The day before yesterday, the uh, Supreme Court said, that is right, you do not have to. It was a big win for religious uh, freedom. I'll let you talk about that a little bit. The only dissenters were Sotomayor and Ginsburg, and Ginsburg wrote the dissenting opinion. I haven't read about it, Dave, but, um, you know, we've got to have a separation of church and state. I think that's most likely where it came down. But um, I, uh, uh, there's a lot of passion wound up in people's religion. And the founders of this country saw that and they knew that. And um, uh, they didn't want government sticking their hands in, into uh, religious matters. That's, that's, that's pretty simple in my, in my book. Yeah, and, and when people are thinking about when they go to the polls again in November, should they vote for this president or not, I think it's impactful in, 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 uh, on them that they remember that two of the justices that this president has put on the court, Gorsuch and, of course, Kavanaugh, 
both have yeah. upheld freedom of religion. And that's just such a huge, huge part of America. I mean, let's let's face it. When you look at what the Democrats are doing, you got the governor of California telling churches and synagogues that they can't sing during their worship services because of COVID-19 and uh, other instances all across the United States about churches not being able to meet and et cetera. Uh, this president, when things get in front of the highest court, has uh, put the people on the court that it's going to rule in favor of freedom of religion. Yeah, it's pretty simple, Dave. I mean, it's it's the First Amendment for a reason. It's number one. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you to hold your thoughts. We're going to go listen to Rush. He's coming up, and then we'll come back, and we'll do exactly. more here on the Dave Ellswick Show. But first, here's Rush Limbaugh. All right, so uh, today looks like uh, a high of 96 with a, a heat index of 108. Tomorrow, 97. Ooh. Heat index of about 110. And then on Sunday, 30% chance of a shower and thunderstorm mainly before 8 a.m. Sunny with a high near 94. Uh, and uh, we're up into the low 100s as far as the heat index goes. Currently in Little Rock, 73, Pine Bluff, 74, Hot Springs, 75, and Cabot and Conway are both uh, reported in at 73 degrees. Our guest, Robert Steinbach uh, from the Bowen School of Law, he is, a, uh, of course, uh, law professor there. And uh, his uh, opinions are his and his alone. Chris Corbett from Conway is an attorney as well and uh, also an engineer. So it gives him a very uh, specialized law practice that he deals with. And uh, he joins us as well. All right. So, guys, we talked a little bit about the Sisters of the Poor. And, uh, Robert, we talked about that yesterday uh, the other ruling that came down on yesterday was dealing with Trump's tax records. And I guess you could kind of look at this, that the Supreme Court punted. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, ruled that New York prosecutors can pursue President Donald Trump's tax records as part of a state criminal investigation, rejecting the president's claim of total immunity from investigation and prosecution uh, while in office. In a separate decision, the justices ruled that courts considering congressional subpoenas for Trump's tax records must examine more carefully the impact and breadth of the document requests before granting them. Both decisions sent the cases back to lower courts for further Proceedings. The Supreme Court said Trump can continue to fight the New York State subpoena in court. So, you know, off of the top of your heads, is this a win for the uh, for the president? Is it a loss for the president, or is it just a continuation of what had been going on? And we're at the you know we we got a Mexican standoff. Uh, and basically, everything is just locked in place. Let me start with you, uh, Robert, your view of this uh, 
it's uh, perhaps a slight win for the president, in part because I don't think that the president's legal team actually thought that he was entitled to total immunity. I don't think that's a particularly tenable position. So I think they asked for the broadest possible protections for the president, believing that they would get something less than that. And they got something less than that, but they got protections. And where along the spectrum of protections they envisioned him coming out, I couldn't say. So I can't tell you whether they ultimately view this as a victory or not. But the courts, the court said that there is some protection for the president, but he's not uh, entirely immune. And that's consistent with uh, the precedent and with a good interpretation of the law, in fact. Right, Chris? Uh, in my opinion, um, he's lost every step of the way. Um, he's, he's lost at the lower court. He's lost at the appeals court. Now he's at the Supreme Court. He's t- president Trump's taken a beating on this. And in my opinion, it's outrageous. He just... Um, it's a fishing expedition. It's a hoax. If this goes back to, to Hoover and the FBI, and I'm going to threaten you with the IRS. This is the oldest playbook in the Democrats' um, in the Democrats your playbook. It's the oldest play. Let's investigate into the IRS and see what he's done. Has he hidden some money? Has he given a company a, a, a fake loan or something and dodged some taxes? I think the whole public knows that President Trump gets aggressive on his taxes. I represent a lot of small business owners, and taxes not paid or taxes delayed or taxes not paid. These, the IRS is uh, full of loopholes. They've, uh, Republicans have tried to reform some of this. And um, if you're not a smart business guy and you're not taking advantages of all the, um, the loopholes that are out there, then, then what are you doing? Um, and you're not you're not trying to break the law. I don't think President Trump has done anything wrong. I think um, he's hired experts. He's hired CPAs. He's hired lawyers to go out there and make some fantastic uh, um, uh, mechanisms to lower his taxes. I think everybody knows that. Now they've taken this thing and want to do some a fishing expedition. And who doesn't have a skeleton in their closet? I mean, what, what, he, he had President Trump didn't do this. He hired experts. To, to help him out. And uh, I think they're just on a fishing expedition. Uh, but there's got to be a balance between handing over your tax records and, and running, running for office. I think it's a, a way of making people scared. It's a, it's a threat. It's a, hey, you're going to be investigated. Hey, you're going to get retaliated against. Some of my small business uh, owners um, are scared to go up against City Hall because they're afraid of retaliation. They may be even afraid to run for office. So in my mind, um, President Trump, he's fighting a good fight, but he's lost every step of the way. Um, they, the Supreme Court's kicked it back down now to some lower courts. It, it won't, I don't think, in my, in my opinion, my humble opinion, I don't think we'll get um, to the end of this until after the election, thank goodness. Um, and um, we'll see what happens. So let me ask this question of you, Chris, and you too, Robert. Uh, it's only been a couple of months since the information came out about the FISA court and that they were lied to uh, so that uh, you know people could spy on members of the uh, president's uh, administration. In this decision, uh, the Supreme Court justices ruled that courts considering congressional subpoenas for Trump's tax uh, records must 
I'm highlighting this, must examine more carefully the impact and breadth of the document requests before granting them. It seems like to me uh, the Supreme Court was uh, throwing up a uh, yield and slow down sign here about uh, getting uh, people's tax uh, records and then being able to uh, open them up in front of the public. Uh, Did I read that right? Well, I think you're exactly yeah, right. You're, that Dave. The, yeah, the, the yeah. point is that you don't start uh, as the Democrats almost literally have uh, by saying, we don't know if there's anything in there, but we just want to sort of route around and maybe we can find something. The Democrats have been almost shameless in their claims to that point, which is, well, there's got to be something in there, so we just want to look at it. That's not how the law works. <laughs> In order to look at someone's tax returns, uh, you have to have some basis to do it. Otherwise, as Chris aptly mentioned, there's a phrase used in the law and elsewhere that it's a, quote, fishing expedition. Meaning you've come in there and you're just dropping a line with no knowledge as to whether there was any wrongdoing in the first instance. That's not how our legal protections are supposed to work. And the court said to those, both the DA in New York City and Congress, hey, uh, you need a little bit more. Actually, the court was more restrictive of Congress uh, than they were of the DA, and that's probably the right call, in fact, because Congress's efforts are even more transparently, nakedly a political effort. Don't get me wrong. What the DA, the Democratic DA in New York, is trying to do is entirely political, but he's trying to blanket it in some sort of law enforcement investigation. So if this gets back in front of the Supreme Court, whoever argues this case is going to have to be able to say, well, look, we tightened up this, so it's just not kind of a willy-nilly thing. Is is that? Am I taking that right, uh, correct, Chris? You're dead on it, Dave. They want to know, uh, from my understanding of, of briefly reading some stuff, is that they want to know exactly what they're asking for. Do they want all of his financial records? Do they want his checkbook? Or, or what are they specifically do they want? Uh, so they're splitting hairs on them. The court split hairs and said, okay, what do you have? What are you looking for? And, um, and in lawyers' terms, basically it's overly burdensome, and um, it, it, would be, it would be hard for him just to produce everything. Um, but, but if you go back, remember how – now, in no comparison here, how did they get Al Capone? They didn't get him because he pulled the trigger on somebody, which I'm sure he did. They got him through the IRS. The IRS is who arrested Al Capone. Uh, for his financial dealing. So in that regard, if, if you've got some sort of um, evidence or um, an affidavit with probable cause, hey, he's breaking the law here, then let's do some investigation. Does President Trump own a, own a billion-dollar building without having made a billion dollars? Where do you get the billion dollars? Um, so that, that's um, where, they're, or what they're, where they're going is they've got to have some specific areas that um, they're looking for and – uh, that's how they. That's basically how the Supreme Court kicked it back to them. It's too broad. So the bottom line: this is a part. This was part of the congressional side. They're saying, since we understand that if Congress is getting involved in this, there's a political element to it. 
We want yeah. to know that it's not just a political element that you're using to go after these tax returns where they didn't bring this up when they talked about uh, the New York prosecutors. That's right. Well, now, Dave, you're, you're right on it, and Rob's exactly right. Who's who's requesting this? It's, uh, the case is not about what con- Congress is requesting. It's what it, it's what the Manhattan DA is requesting. Um, the, the Manhattan District Attorney, U.S. Attorney. So he's asking um, for some specific records. And if there's a if there's a criminal investigation there, the DA is going to get a little more leeway than uh, Congress, and, and rightfully so, because the president's not above the law. Um, and um, if there's something there. Tell me what it is, and we'll, the courts will force them to turn it over. All right. It's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. It's going to have to go down to the lower courts again. Uh, they will again say how they believe, and then we can probably expect that this will be before the Supreme Court again. And all of this oh, is yeah. not going to happen uh, before the election, I, I think that we can all assume that. All right, guys, well, let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll do more here on the Dave Ellswick Show when we return. If you're watching it on Facebook, stay tuned. We've got many more things to talk about with uh, Robert and with Chris Corbett here on the Dave Ellswick Show on 1011 FM, The Answer. All right, guys, let me bring in, uh, we had a uh, a listener or a viewer on Facebook pose a question uh, on the Facebook page. It says, uh, the funny thing, if there was something wrong with Trump's taxes, wouldn't the IRS gotten uh, him a long time ago? And it says that, bottom line, Trump continues to play them like a fiddle again. What's your take on that? Very interesting. And that's right. He's had experts review his tax returns. Did he do something wrong? Is it a, uh, is there a risk in him for running for president? Uh, yeah, I mean, this could be, this could be devastating for Trump and his entire family if uh, there's something wrong out there. But um, it's already been reviewed. It's a, it's a total hoax. It's a fix, a fishing expedition. It's, it's, it's crazy in my mind. It's political. It's all political. And so, Robert, how do we keep this from continuing to happen uh, on this on the political front, where people just go out on these muckraking expeditions to try to dig up something uh, that's out there? How do we stop that, or can we? Well, the way the Supreme Court limited it says that the prosecutor or the uh, c- Congress people have to de- excuse me they have to demonstrate some reason why they are doing what they're doing and they can't just willy-nilly do it the truth is whenever somebody has some authority there is an ability on the margin to abuse their powers that's what we started off the show talking about when we talked about how the city of little rock has abused its powers relative to the teachers that it has indiscriminately fired. Uh, These are relatively low-paid public employees teaching our kids, and a bunch of uh, unelected bureaucrats uh, summarily dismissed them in what was a reduction in force and didn't give these employees reduction in force protections. So they try 
to muster up some excuse why they broke the law. And then you have a court determine whether they broke the law. We are going to, Chris and I, are going to file that lawsuit to have the court make that determination. This, I tell you all of this to say, that's where your protection comes in. The court says, are you muckraking? Are you just putting up a false defense for your wrongdoing? Or is there a legitimate basis to what you're doing? And the court will make that ultimate call. Courts don't always get it right because humans are inherently flawed. And that, of course, includes judges, notwithstanding that many of them would tell you the contrary. Uh, And so we will see in Arkansas, in Little Rock, in the not uh, so distant future, whether the Bureau hacks who have fired hardworking teachers without providing them with the rights that are guaranteed under state law will get away with it. And we'll see whether at the national level, uh, Bureau hacks and elected politicos who decide to go after the president uh, will be entitled to do so or the courts will stop them. We've seen the first step in which the courts have detailed a middle road in which those Bureau hacks and elected officials must walk. So bottom line, what the Supreme Court did was uh, just tighten up or pull the reins in on these abilities to go out and uh, start these uh, subpoenas and things of that nature, saying you better get that right or you're not going to get the information you're looking for. That's right. That's right, Dave. And it's all interconnected, Dave. It's so interconnected. The FISA courts, the secret court, issuing these these warrants or these subpoenas. They failed to do their job. They failed to look at the probable cause. It was made up uh, Russian investigation. And the problem is so interconnected. Um, our protections lie in the ability of enforcement or police action, IRS, to issue a probable cause statement with an affidavit that has a name on it, right? You get to face your accuser. Uh, so there's been some kind of crime committed. We can't just willy-nilly go around and start investigating people for crimes. Um, if we're going to do that, then I elect myself the private attorney general, and I'm going to start a, uh, investigating people for crimes. Um, maybe make my own jail. <laughs> so that's where it's um, – it, our protections lie in the third branch and the judiciary branch. We hope they do a good job. Okay, so the question stands – uh, as far as the FISA court screw-up that occurred uh, here over the last few years, do you think that that's, that affected the higher court dealing with this? And then we'll wrap up our conversation of that with this Absolutely. question. Absolutely. Absolutely, Dave, 100 percent. 100 percent, I think it influenced it. All right. So we want to make sure that uh, the, the government has power but not total power for any way or or whatever that they try to do uh, to get information politically on uh, an individual here of the United States, in this case, the president. That's right. All right. Chris and uh, Robert will be back with us in the next hour. When we come back, I want to talk to them about a couple of initiated acts that look like they're going to make the ballot. Uh, in 2020, we'll talk about them as we continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer.
All right, let's get into, uh, as you're watching on Facebook, you're watching in real time as uh, I'm recording uh, this hour to be played back at 6 o'clock on 101.1 FM uh, at this time. But since you're on Facebook, you get to watch it as it's going down. Uh, don't forget the the, the uh, podcast is goes up online at about 10, and so uh, you can watch it, you can listen to it, you can do whatever you want to with it uh, starting at about 10 o'clock. Okay, I'm taking a look, and everybody is in, excited uh, about the, the Facebook feed today because we're doing it by my phone instead of by the Mevo, which allows me uh, to uh, talk directly to you during the break. Uh, when we're on Mevo, Mevo, uh, you can see us, but you can't hear us, and I can't talk directly to you. So uh, today it's been a little bit different. I kind of like it. We, we need to figure out a way that we can talk on, on the air like this because I can uh, talk about things sometimes with our guests. It's a little bit tougher because... I have to, if we're doing it by phone call, I, I've got to have uh, the headphones by my phone so you can hear uh, the callers. You can't hear them unless I do that uh, because we're not feeding the audio down on the Mevo from the board over in the other room where uh, Heidi is sitting. So you're, all the audio you're getting today is off of my phone, just so you'll know uh, how that works. All right, guys, let's talk about a couple of uh, initiated acts that looks like they're going to make it to the uh, uh, ballot come uh, November of this year. The first one is uh, dealing with redistricting. uh, And over the years, when the Democrats have been in control, uh, they have changed the law on off-year elections where uh, the uh, census isn't going down so that they were the only ones that continued to do uh, redistricting. Uh, at first, it was if your party controlled the, the, the governor's office. That meant you did the redistricting. Then uh, when, the, when Rockefeller won... Uh, as a Republican, they changed that. Uh, they made it so that you had to carry not only the governor's office, but another constitutional office. And you had to have two of the three constitutional offices that they picked as being the most important constitutional office. So they picked the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the uh, AG. And so... We had one. We didn't have two when this went into law. Uh, they still had the governorship. They still had the AG. So BB and McDaniel uh, did the redistricting, and uh, the Secretary of State, who was a Republican, wasn't even invited to the meetings most of the time because they're going to overrule him all the time as it was. So then we were able to uh, win the, uh, all of the gubernatorial offices. We took over 
the uh, House had about a 70 percent group of Republicans in the House and well over that in the Senate. And so now David Couch, who is a a Democrat and who is using money from uh, the Arnold family in Texas, the people who who owned uh, the oil company uh, that uh, got into all kinds of problems in the late 90s, early 2000s, Enron, uh, to put on the ballot. Now, they want you to vote in that we used a commission that's put together, and they determine the redistricting. Now, the only reason that this came up is because the Democrats are out of power. Uh, they they were in power uh, for 100-plus years. Now they are totally not only out of power, but their power in the House and the Senate and is minuscule, and they have no power whatsoever in the um, uh, offices of the constitutional offices, which are the governor, the AG, uh, the land commissioner, uh, the secretary of state, the treasurer, and, um, man, I can't remember the last one. There's, there's six of them. But all of them are controlled by uh, the Republicans. So this is an end-around run by the Democrats. And this would be, this year, would be the first time that the Republicans get to do redistricting. And let's understand something. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, I think it's crazy the way the state has been redistricted over the years. Well, it's not because of the Republicans. It's been controlled by the Democrats, only by the Democrats. Every time the Republicans seem to be getting close to it, the Democrats who always can uh, control the House and the Senate would vote through another piece of legislation and change the way that it was done. So uh, it shouldn't surprise anybody that just as soon as we get close to doing redistricting on our own uh, for the Republicans, now we're being told, no, we don't think so. We're going to go to the uh, Arkansans, to the, the citizenry of the state and say, this should be done by a committee because to have one other, one other, some some party do it uh, is wrong. So let me just ask you the question: If that's the case, then why was it okay when the Democrats held all the cards and the power that it was all right for them to do it? But now that the, the Republicans can have their the cards. It's not all right for them to do it. I mean, that's really the question you got to ask, gentlemen, when you're talking about this. So let me let you guys jump in. Robert, you're first. Dave, to me, it's quite a simple question or quite a simple. If folks say, do you support sending the redistricting to a commission? My answer will be once the Democrats take control of the constitutional offices again, uh, I will support that. Up until then, I do not support that. 
for the very reason that you articulated, which is that the Democrats controlled redistricting for the entire history relative to the Republicans of this state. And now that they're out of power, they're trying to create a so-called commission. By the way, the purpose of the commission is to pack it with Democrats, maybe not a majority of Democrats, but to get more Democrats on the commission than they have constitutional officers, which are zero. So they want more authority in redistricting after having had what? All the authority in redistricting. Yeah, it's, so now it, that it's the Republicans' turn, my response is, take a number at the deli counter. We'll be with you later on. Yeah, it's really interesting because the way this commission is drawn up, the names come up uh, that should be considered, and they all go in a box. Uh, and, and they just draw the names, which, you know, if you look at the chances of you just pulling Democrats, that's going to be tough. But uh, the chances of you pulling more Democrats than Republicans is a fairly good opportunity. It's it, this is nothing more than the Democrats trying to you know cover their rear ends. What do you think, Chris? I, I think you're dead on it. And you gave a great primer on what all this is actually about. It's about Democratic powers at be losing the power um not only on the districting side but also also this this ballot measure from what i can digest is um it would allow fringe candidates to upset the uh a majority candidate and um it's confusing um so um hopefully it's going to be shot down by the voters but wow i'm this is when you inform me of it it's my first time learning of it and my my initial gut reaction, without doing any research on it, just looking at it, I was like, "Whoa, what is this?" And then when you said, "Now when you said that they've had this, the Democrats have had this power forever, and now that Republicans get a chance at doing some districting, and they've come up with this ballot measure to to prevent that, it's wild. That makes it that makes total sense to me now. Yeah. They're trying to keep the power, they've lost the power, and uh, I like Rob's. Take a ticket." <laughs> you can get your, we'll be with you in a moment. <laughs> well, they have to take a ticket unless the voters uh, go against them. So the the bottom line right. is this. The Democrats have controlled redistricting in Arkansas since, uh, you know, uh, Reconstruction. How's that wow. one for you? Maybe, since, maybe, yeah, maybe since the Constitution of 1874? <laughs> Ever since. They've controlled this, yeah. and people say, well, look, look at the, the Fayetteville finger. Those Republicans had nothing to do with us, man. That was BB at that time that the Fayetteville finger came up. And if you want a, a, you know, a primer on that, Google it, Fayetteville finger. Uh, we call it the Fayetteville finger because it was giving you the middle that. finger. That's exactly what that oh. was, trying to consolidate oh. their power, the, uh, the Democrats, up in a very strong uh, Republican area uh, that that occurred because uh, that's the way the area is. They were trying to give them a ch- themselves a chance up there when people were running as Democrats uh, in uh, Northwest uh, Arkansas. All right, a break. When we come back, another uh, initiated act, another crap piece of legislation they're trying to get on. We'll talk about it. In fact. Junior Senator Tom Cotton 
is ready to go to war over this one. We'll talk about it when we continue right here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. Okay, so I promised you when we came back uh, on the show that we would talk about this other initiated act, and this deals with primaries. It's going to be different if this passes. Someone asked me on Facebook, how can we keep this off the ballot? Doesn't look like we're going to be able to. Looks like it's going to be on the ballot. Although I will tell you this, and I'll get a copy of this and post it on my Facebook. And when you look at the title of this initiative, it is not clear. And if it's not clear, it should never get on the ballot. I mean, I remember uh, when Carl Kimball and uh, Jacobs and myself and others were fighting about the food tax uh, back in the early 2000s, how many times we had to change the ballot title so that it was clear. All right, and let's just put it this way. They put us through the ringer because they didn't want it on the ballot. All right. They did not want it on the ballot. And uh, bottom line, when all was said and done, uh, it, a couple of words were changed, basically. So um, it was as clear as it was ever going to be. This title, and, and that was just a couple of lines. This title is single-spaced uh, and small print. It's Guys, listen to me. It's... That, that redistricting bill is a page and a half just on the do, the, the ballot uh, title. And then the rest of the initiative is 10 pages long. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. So uh, somebody says, how do you keep it off? Here's what you do. It shows up. Vote no. That's what you got to do. And we got to get everybody... Uh, you know, uh, they they got to be educated on it, understand why it's a bad deal, because they're going to push that, well, a Citizens Commission, that's the best way to go because it'll be nonpartisan. That's not true, number one, on the face of it. And number two, if it needed to be changed to that, why wasn't it changed during the 100 and odd years that the Democrats were in control? Think about that for a moment. They didn't want to change it until the Republicans had a shot at redistricting. So keep it in mind. That's right. Vote no against that redistricting uh, initiative. Also, there's going to be another initiative, this one dealing with the primaries. And, uh, you know, we have open primaries right now in, in Arkansas. I've always argued that we should have a closed primary here in Arkansas. So, you know, Democrats pick their their uh, uh, folks, and Republicans pick their folks who are going to run for office, and uh, Libertarians pick theirs, Green Party picks theirs. Bottom line, everybody picks their own candidates. You don't allow any of the other parties to, to cross over into your primary and to screw the pooch, as I like to say, and let them try to uh, cause the weaker candidate to be picked in the primary. Now they want to have an open primary, not only have an open primary, but depending on how many people are there, the top two candidates that have the most uh, numbers uh, go into a runoff. But then they take the 
other candidates who didn't run, and Chris, this is going to drive you crazy. You got your seatbelt on, brother? Because here it comes. I'm listening. Yeah, the, the, the other candidates, you take their second votes. In other words, when you vote in the primary, you're not only going to vote for the person that you want, but a secondary person. And that person then gets the vote. So now it depends on who's got 50 plus one. This is crazy. This is an, this is crazy. And the only reason they're doing it is uh, because the Democrats are out of power. They're trying to find a way to have some power here. So they're trying to change things up just so that uh, they can hold on to their uh, their control. And let me tell you how big of the change has been. When I got here in 2000, got there in, in got here in 2000, there were four Republicans in our state house and one se- senator. Now there's I forget like 72%, maybe maybe more than that. I think we got a super majority now in the house for Republicans and we got a super super majority in the Senate. And we have all the constitutional offices. Think about how things have changed in this state. Think of how the Democrats, since Reconstruction, have had a death grip on the state. Suddenly now, they do not. It's a big deal. Dave, Dave, that explains, there's no doubt, the actions of the Democrats in seeking to change the method of redistricting. There's nothing surprising here, right? By the way, I don't blame the Democrats. Do you blame a mosquito when it stings you? That's its job. No, I expect to be bit by a a snake uh, if it's a venomous snake. Do you blame the snake? Now, you you may take a spade and cut off its head, but do you blame the snake for biting you? That's its job. That's the job of a mosquito, to suck your blood. That's the job of the Democrats, try to get back the power that they've lost through the democratic process because they will never be elected in our lifetimes to the constitutional offices again in Arkansas. Yeah, not for, not in our lifetimes at least. No. No. Absolutely right. not. Man, we we put our boot on their throats and we've done everything we can to to kill them off. Uh, but Democrats are like vampires, man. You got to put a wooden stake yeah. through their heart. You got to stick their mu- fill their mouth with garlic and cut their heads off. Then you got to drag them out in the sunlight. <laughs> well, you know, Dave, if you want to come see what it's like to live in a haven of Democrats, come live where I live. Oh yeah, come live yeah. under Mayor Scott. Come live under City Attorney Tom Carpenter, who's consistently working against transparency transparency rights. That's where you can come see what the Democrats actually pursue, right? There's, oh, we're Democrats. We're, we're the party of the people, the party of the people that wants to ch- charge you $10 for you to use your phone. $10 to use your phone to take a picture of a public document. Oh, that's a party of the people, all right. Well, understand. Yeah. Hey, you're in, you're, in, you're in the city, uh, Robert, that has the first hate crime law in, in Arkansas. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Are you allowed to hate the hate crime law? Is that a hate crime in and of itself? <laughs> it's yeah, true. That's going to be a funhouse mirror right there. All right, so look, guys, we're coming up. That we got to take a break here. We got Sean Hannity coming up here at six thirty. 
So, or, or, so we got to play that. So I want you to be thinking about this hate crime legislation uh, that Scott has gotten his city council to pass. I, I've got the story right in front of me, uh, and uh, I'll read from that, and then we will talk about this when we come back. Hate crime laws sound good on the surface, but it doesn't take much than your fingernail to scratch below that much below the surface to see how dangerous uh, they really, really are. It's a dangerous piece of legislation. Uh, I just wonder if the, the city can pass that. All right. We'll talk about it when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let's continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Chris is with us. Robert's with us. Robert Steinbach is a professor of law at the Bowen School of Law. His opinions are his and his alone, uh, and not necessarily those of the uh, School of Law, the Bowen School of Law, although, as I always like to say, they should be uh, because the Bowen School of Law is basically a lefty institution, have some conservatives there, uh, but they're just there to appease people like me. And then you got uh, Chris Corbett, who's over in Conway. He's an attorney as well. Uh, his specialty is in engineering law, which is a very, very uh, interesting specialty. Let's just put it that way. We just left. We lost Chris. We'll hope that he'll call back here. All right. I just see that uh, his phone. Uh, and then Chris just text me and says, I lost you. So he'll be back. He'll be calling us, and we'll we'll get it all set up again. Now, the way you're hearing this on Facebook, not on the air now at 6 o'clock, but on Facebook is that we're playing this over my headset so people can pick it up on the phone uh, for a Facebook. And I'm back, babe. Be on here. You, you're back with us. Okay, we got everybody now. All right, let me read the AP article uh, dealing with Little Rock and the first hate crime law. And then I got an initial question, and then we'll just open it up for a complete discussion. Little Rock became the first city in Arkansas to pass a measure with increased penalties specifically for hate crimes that target people based on their race, national origin, religion, sexual orientation, gender identity, or disability. The city's board of directors uh, Tuesday approved the ordinance that would enhance up to $1,000 in fines for a first offense, a sentence of 30 days, 90 days, or a year in jail, or a combination of fine and imprisonment. Arkansas is one of only four states without a specific hate crimes law. That's important because... I want you to listen closely to what they say at the end of this article because it it begs a big question. I'm just a big question. Uh, The Arkansas Democrat Gazette reports that Mayor Frank Scott Jr. hopes the ordinance serves as a model for other cities. Arkansas lawmakers released a drafted bill last month that addresses hate crimes by enhancing penalties for targeted offenses in the state. The bill is expected to be discussed in the legislature during the January uh, general session that will start and that I will be at broadcasting live from every frickin' day to keep you up to date on what's going on there. Uh, Quote, it is important that this work starts early to 
so support can build before the general session in January, said the governor. My hope is that this type of action will reduce racial strife and send a message that violence in the name of prejudice will meet an increased penalty under law. All right, so the the last thing you just said might work since you're telling people, okay, if you go out and beat somebody just because they're black or Hispanic or transgender or uh, a gay or whatever, uh, we're going to punish you more severely. But the first part of it is just BS. And I wish I was on uh, satellite radio and I could call call it out for what it is. But uh, it's it's pure bull bovine when you say we're hoping that this type of action will reduce racial strife. Well, if 46 other states have it, and it hasn't reduced racial strife there, and we've seen that, have we not? Then, for God's sakes, it just makes sense just because we have one. It's not going to reduce the racial strife here in uh, Arkansas. Notice that the only thing they mention is racial strife. It's not national origin strife or sexual orientation strife or gender identity it's, or disability. It's all about Race And when you talk about race, it's all about black and white. That's typically where it's at. The majority of cases is black and white. So this is a whole lot of hokum about nothing. And I tell you, we don't need this law. And I'm going to fight against it. Hendren may have written up a new piece of legislation and thinks he's got votes. We'll see about that when the when the, the voting starts. So let me turn it over to uh, Robert and to... Uh, 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 Corbin Christian. about this and, 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 and talk Chris, about start. this. Go ahead, guys. Yeah, well, my, my if I back up and just look at it from a, a broad perspective, Dave, the, the, we have laws in order to deter crime. And if if they're trying to enhance this law to create more of a deterrence, I don't think it's going to work. Um, now, let, let's let's if we zoom in a little bit, should are you more culpable? Let's let's do a little a little hypo here. If you walk up and ha- slap somebody, right? Assault and battery. Now, if that, the culpability of that, did I have the intent to slap? Did I have the intent to hurt somebody? Did I offensively touch somebody and break break the law? Now, is my culpability more more? Because I did it for a specific racial reason, um, that that's I don't know. You have to go into someone's mind. I mean, who's a mind reader, right? Um, now, if I'm not a mind reader, can I infer some intent from somebody's action? If if I uh, and rather than just open hand slap somebody, I close my fist and hit them. Okay, there's maybe a little more culpability. Maybe I pick up a stick and hit them um, in the head or in the leg. Right, is there more culpability there? Did I, I mean more harm? It's hard for me to digest from just a, okay, a so first gut reaction. Let's talk about two cases that happened this year. Yeah. A person went out and stole an American flag from a flagpole of a company and they, they burned it. Nothing happened to him because they say that's uh, freedom of expression political speech another person took a 
uh, rainbow flag down uh, from a flagpole and burned it. And they wanted to give the guy like 10 years in jail because he was, show, he was showing his hate for gay people. This is, right, what, this is what we're getting yeah. into now here in Arkansas well, as well. You're, you're on to something, Dave, and that's called what we get. Rob and I have a lot of discussions about this. The arbitrary enforcement of laws. If you allow prosecutors, prosecutors have great discretion whether to bring charges. But if you allow for the arbitrary enforcement of a law, then you've got problems because it, it will be taken out of context. It will be used politically. And that's exactly a great example of, of what we're talking about here. Now, I'm against flag burning. I don't, I don't, I'm against flag burning. I don't want you burning the American flag. But as a free country, I'm going to have to just deal with it. I've got to put up with it. If we, if we call that freedom of speech, okay, well, I disagree, but um, – uh, I, I wish you wouldn't burn the American flag. And but now, when you take this this arbitrary or this hate crime and arbitrarily enforce it, one flag versus the other flag, that's a problem. I mean, that's just a on its face, that's a problem because you're trying to dive into someone's, you're trying to read their mind. Well, it's not only just trying to read their mind. It says, do you do you have a specific reason? For why you're going after that person who burned down the uh, uh, gay flag and didn't go down from the person who burned down burned up the American flag? I think that That's goes right. what to the to the reason of persecution. There you go, right, right, right. And when, I, when we talk about mind reading, you know, if I if going back to my assault and battery example, did I intend to hurt you? Yeah, if I'm gonna slap you, I'm intending to inflict some pain and, and hurt somebody. Um, am I more culpable because I I did it with a different type of intent? Uh, I guess that's why we have hate crimes. Is you're more culpable. Um, and um, with this hate crime, with the way it's written, it allows for the arbitrary enforcement of it. It's bad. Bottom line. All right. How are you, Robert? What's your thoughts on this? I think. <clears throat> The more we start to try to determine political ideologies, even hateful political ideologies, the more we start to get getting into the government telling you what you're entitled to think. And remember, we had a bill last term, and we're going to have a, a revised and improved version of that bill this term, that says government employees are allowed to write on their Facebook, this is an example, of course, uh, what they want uh, without having some mid-level leftist bureaucrat telling those employees that they're fired because those mid-level leftist bureaucrats don't like what the government uh, person, uh, government employee saying on his own personal time. We've seen cases across this country where government, <clears throat> excuse me, employees have been uh, sanctioned, uh, fired, etc., for putting things on their Facebook pages like, oh, uh, I'm against gay marriage. This is me quoting someone else, to be clear. Now, I don't care if you're against gay marriage or for gay marriage, and uh, I think that 
reasonable minds uh, um, are entitled to ha- well no let me rephrase that reasonable or unreasonable minds i think people are allowed to have religious beliefs i know they're allowed to have religious beliefs under the first amendment that includes uh, that position on gay marriage that that was something happening before the supreme court declared it uh, a constitutional right and now that's a done deal and we that that is what it is but my point simply is that I don't like government folks telling you, well, you're not allowed to have that belief. That includes, by the way, really disgusting and awful beliefs as well. I don't think that's the position of the government to be telling you what beliefs you're allowed to have. Now, what actions you're allowed to take, that they're allowed to do. So if you commit a crime, if you commit an assault, if you commit a murder, etc., you are absolutely subjected to the heavy hand of the law. And that's the distinction that we should be trying to focus on. Yeah, I agree. In fact, Wayne Beach, one of our uh, uh, viewers on Facebook, put it this way. He said, any hate crime statute or ordinance is going to put us on a slippery slope. A crime is a crime. The level of punishment is determined by a jury, uh, period. So uh, interesting. I mean, just just really interesting because I think he cuts to the crux of the matter here. Is it a crime or isn't it a crime? I mean, if you see me slap somebody and you say that's assault, uh, how are you going to determine why I slapped that person? I mean, uh, are you going to go back and search through all of my Facebook quotes and Twitter feed to see if I showed any propensity to not like uh, you know black people or people with big noses or or people with big ears. I mean, come on, this is uh, getting into you know trying to figure out something you really can't figure out. But with yeah. that, we'll let you, we'll let you guys think about that, and we'll be back for the final segment that's coming up here in just a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let's finish it up for this week here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We got uh, about eight minutes remaining. And uh, we've been talking to Chris and we've been and Corbett, and we've been talking to Rob Steinbach uh, about this hate crime law that the Little Rock uh, City Council has passed. Guys, one other question I have about this, uh, and that is, you know, they they tried to do this up in Northwest Arkansas, and the legislature said, "Hey, you can't do that. You can't supersede state law." Do you, do you right. see us having uh, that kind of fight over this again, or does the governor want this so bad that he's okay with turning his, uh, his face away from this and, and try to get it made into law? We'll let uh, Robert go first. Say again? I didn't follow, Dave. I apologize. Okay, that's all right. Yeah, the governor, look— uh Northwest Arkansas passed a law uh, uh a couple of years ago that super that. that superseded uh the state law and uh enhanced penalties against people that were you know doing things that they thought were uh uh discriminatory and the state legislature in fact led by uh, Ballinger attacked that law saying they could not enact it because it did more 
than what the state law did. And because of that, they couldn't do it, and they won in court over that. Is that not what uh, Little Rock is setting itself up for, or is the governor going to call off the dog, so to speak, and say, but this is something I want to see passed? I can't answer the latter question, but the former is a clear point, and that is uh, municipalities can't trump state law, and they consistently try to trump state law, particularly when they are leftist havens like Little Rock who are seeking to undermine the conservative laws enacted by a conservative legislature, as I will uh, point out to you, let's say a Republican legislature, whether it's a conservative legislature, uh, time will only tell. Uh, But certainly a Republican legislature, uh, good conservatives like Bob Ballinger are fighting to make sure it's a conservative legislature. Of course, we got rid of one state senator who was a Republican who killed Stand Your Ground, so we can't call him a conservative, but he will not be in the legislature next session. And in his stead, we have a very strong conservative from Jonesboro, and that, of course, is Dan Sullivan. So we're moving in the conservative direction, and the state laws are... obviously designed to be uh, the supreme laws relative to municipalities. And the same thing, by the way, uh, regarding the relationship of state to federal law. If there's a federal law on point, state law can't trump it. So there's a hierarchy of government that exists in these United States, and those local leftist havens like Little Rock and San Francisco uh, can try as much as they want to undermine that, but they should fail when it gets to court. What about you, Chris? Man, I want to. I want to. I'm going to say something here, maybe a little provocative. A little provocative. Uh, yeah, be careful. We don't do that somebody. on this show. Yeah. I hit somebody, okay? I hit you. I slap you. I committed a crime. I hurt you. Now, I should be punished for that. But if I hit you, I do the same thing. I hit you. I slap you. And I say, I hate you because you're purple. Man, now I'm more culpable? Um, I, I don't know. I've got I've to give it some more thought, Dave. Are we, are we punishing people because of uh, free speech? Are we punishing people more? as Rob was saying, because of what we believe and the government's trying to um, gain a little ground, get a little extra dirt in trying to control our thoughts versus just analyzing our actions. I, I've got to, I've got to back up and think about it a little more. And my, 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 my analogy or my, my hypothesis here uh, is that um, we're trying to uh, control what people are thinking. So yeah. we're going to punish you more. Because you said you said something, or you had something, you previously said something, like, I hate aliens, or I hate purple people. I'm trying to keep it generic, right? But I, but the only action I did is, is reach out and, and, and slap you in the face. So I get one year for doing that, but if I reach out and slap you, and I say I hate purple people, then I get 10 years. I don't know. It's a, it's a slippery slope in my mind. It, it doesn't make any sense now let me let me couch that in if you do that if you hit somebody because they are purple then that's reprehensible um so it's a uh, to me it, it goes back to deterrence are we doing is this going to deter me from slapping purple people i don't think so it gives prosecutors more arbitrary ability to put people in jail for what they think 
Yeah, I, you know, I kind of feel like it's the government saying, you know, it's not about the action, it's about the thinking behind the action, and nowhere yeah. in the Constitution does it say you can't be, um, you can't discriminate. You discriminate yeah, every day against things. It, it, I just yeah. don't think the government should pick what's uh, bad discrimination and what's good dis- uh, discrimination. With that said, guys, we're we're out of time. By the way, I got that picture that you sent me, Chris, uh, dealing you. <laughs> uh, with your beard that you've grown, and I'm going to put it on my Facebook page sometime today. Uh, you did All a right. nice job, guy. Not a bad job. Thank you. Thank you. Keep that up, and uh, if you go fishing this weekend, know that, look around, especially if you're up in the, the Bull Shoals area. I'm going to go up into the Bull Shoals area this Saturday uh, just to All see right. what's, I've never been up there. I, I need to get up there and check it out. I'm going to go oh, have um, gonna go have dinner. At Ga- is, it, is it Gartens or Gaston's? What? Oh, Gaston's, yeah. Yeah, Gaston's I'm going to go have wonderful. dinner at Gaston's. I've heard good things about to it. Get, it's got yeah, to be like Angler's. I mean, Angler's is a great place yeah. to eat, too. Yeah, absolutely. Do you eat at Anglers very often when you go to fish up there? Man, I love them all. When you mentioned Mountain View and that little wing shack place, the, yeah, I, I be, I've eaten there several times. Okay. I mean, when you, yeah. All right. Good we'll let you, you get Thanks out of here and enjoy your weekend. The same with you, Robert. Thank you so much. Talk to you later. Okay, Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett, they join us every Friday. I'll be back with you on Monday, Power Panel and... The new uh, uh, superintendent of the Little Rock Schools join me here on Dave Ellswick Show. Have a great weekend. See you at 6 a.m. on Monday.